Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Driving to the Baskets. My name is Mike. I'm here with Dante and Tommy, and this is going to be our final pre-draft lottery draft preview on a guy who's more or less the consensus number one overall pick, Cade Cunningham. But first off, Dante, Tommy, how are you guys doing? I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy that the pre-lottery coverage is coming to an end because I'm ready to be hurt, and I would rather be hurt now than later. Yeah, I'm just anxious at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I can definitely empathize. So uh, just a couple matters of note before we get started. Uh, Number one, uh, congratulations to Sadiq Bey and Isaiah Stewart, uh, respectively first team and second team all-rookie. Definitely a big accomplishment. So uh, kudos to those two. Uh, Definitely uh, super hardworking uh, and just generally upstanding players Uh, and talented, of course, needless to say. Uh, second matter of notes, uh, the draft lottery to which uh, we have all made reference and uh, for which I'm sure Pistons fans everywhere are pretty nervous is coming up on the 22nd. So, uh, you know, I, I really can't give you any advice on how to prepare. Uh, I would suggest maybe uh, drinking yourself into near insensibility. <laughs> uh, that's yeah, a possibility. That works. Yeah, that that could work. I mean... At least, you know, whatever happens, you'll probably have passed out before the lottery uh, before you know, the lottery goes on. So I heard if you cover your hands with your eyes before they read the sixth pick, we actually have a better chance of not receiving the sixth pick. <laughs> That's true. Uh, another, that might be worth exploring. You know, absolutely. 100%. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's been scientifically proven, though. Uh, I, I really don't think this is a thesis we need to prove. And also, if you, uh, if you choose to eat nothing but... Uh, bread and drink nothing but water uh, for about the 72 hours until the draft lottery, then in any event, it's going to be a big day. I, I don't think it's exaggerating to say that it could really determine the, not, not necessarily the success or failure of the rebuild, but it, getting one of those particular top three picks would, uh, you know, which gives you guaranteed access to, uh, to one of Kate Mobley and Green would be a big deal. And if that doesn't happen, fourth pick wouldn't be the end of the world. Maybe you still get Jalen Green at that point. But uh, but beyond that, you just kind of have to hope that Weaver finds, uh, finds a, somebody really good, potentially franchise-changing player. So before we get started, a quick word from our sponsors at DraftKings. All right, guys. So today we're going to be telling you about DraftKings Sportsbook. It's my favorite sportsbook. My friends and family love it. It's America's top-rated one as well. There's tons to do, tons to bet on. they got a great new promotion going on right now. Basically, you're going to pick any team still in the NBA playoffs. And if they win that game, you're going to turn $1 into $100 in site credits. And it's not just basketball. They offer promotions on baseball, hockey, so much more all week long. It's safe, secure, reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice to win their next game. And if they do, you'll claim $100 in free credits. That's promo code TBPN for a limited time. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 years or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Wager paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. And with that being said, let's get back to the episode. All right. So, Cade Cunningham, just a quick preview on this guy. Six foot eight, seven foot two wingspan, 220 pounds. Uh, definitely a primary ball handler to the core. One and done at Oklahoma State. Average 26 and three, 40% from three, 57.5% true shooting. That's pretty efficient. And he accomplished it despite handling just an enormous load of the offensive creation for a not very good team. Really, he was even better than those stats in a way that really, I don't think it can be done full justice without actually watching the tape uh, because, yeah, he, yeah. So he's very nearly the full package. Just is an excellent shooter. He's, he's, an, he's definitely got potential as, as a high-level shot creator. Projects just as an overall excellent creator for both himself and others. Basketball IQ is great. Court vision is great. He's very good at finding others off the drive, handles the ball well. Uh, Needless to say, he's tall and he's very strong. And he uses that very, I mean, he uses really every bit of that size and strength to exploit mismatches. He can line up at four positions at the one through four, projects as a plus multi-positional defender in the NBA. 
And just in general, he has the ceiling of that sort of elite creator who uh, could power a championship winning offense, given, of course, the proper supporting cast. Is really a single notable long-term weakness would be pretty mediocre athleticism. So moving on, Tommy, uh, what do you like most about Cade Cunningham? I think the most impressive thing about Cade was you go back to contextualizing his season with Oklahoma State. So he ended up going there because his brother is a coach, and that's about it. Their roster was pretty terrible, even by NCAA standards. There was very little in the way of spacing. Their bigs were not very athletic. And the opponent scouting report, like priority one, two, and three must have been Cade Cunningham because all they did was double and triple team Cade Cunningham very early, you know, in the shot clock and just try to force him to get rid of the ball. And, you know, sometimes you force him tough passes. Sometimes you make him take a tough shot, but it didn't end up mattering. The poise that Cade Cunningham played with, despite the fact that he was getting pressured so hard, is just phenomenal. I, it's it's incredible to watch sometimes because when you say like he gets two feet in the paint, he's almost always immediately triple teamed. You don't see that very often. And it's just because the opponents trust that it is more beneficial to them to leave shooters open on the perimeter, to leave, you know, a big standing, you know, more than five feet away from the rim than to let Cade Cunningham take a guy one-on-one because Cade just has so much in his bag. It's just, it's just nearly impossible to stop him one-on-one, at least at the college level. Uh, so for sure, that was the most impressive thing to me, just the poise that he played with and the ability that he showed under pressure. Yeah, he's, he's listen, he's a special player. I mean, that's not exactly a, a groundbreaking take. Uh, I'm not going to be taking Skip Bayless's job anytime soon by saying that. But the, the point remains, you guys have touched on it. I'll echo it now. I think what makes Cade so special is, yeah, it's his shot creation. Um, not just for himself, like Mike said, but for others as well. So it's sort of a, a pick your poison with Cade, I would say. Uh, his size makes him unique in the fact that, well, he's a little too big for the guards and he's a little too skilled for the forwards, right? It doesn't seem that anybody can match up with him one-on-one and, and, and prevent him from just completely going off. So like Tommy alluded to, what teams have sort of started doing, or not started doing, but done throughout the entirety of his season is just absolutely maul him anytime he gets anywhere close to the basket. You know, there are still images that you can look at, and I've been studying Cade basically pretty intensely for the past week, and so I've been reading many scouting reports from many different outlets, and some of them use videos, some of them use images, and there are so many still images of Cade going up for a layup or a dunk, and he's absolutely swarmed by, like, the entire opposing team. So it's it's like Tommy alluded to. They didn't fear the players around Cade, you know, Cade was the offense. Cade was the person that they were trying to stop. And that sort of speaks to, you know, his ability to get his shot off in a variety of ways, right? Uh, You want to pull up three, you got it. You want to spot up three, you got it. Catch and shoot, uh, mid-range, step back, fade away. Cade is comfortable taking uncomfortable shots, if that makes sense. There's no real limit to um, any particular situation or any particular spot on the floor where Cade Cunningham won't be able to get his own shot. And when he gets the shot up, it's more likely than not going in because his percentages are outrageous as well, which is even more impressive when you consider all of the context surrounding his team and how defenses would sort of pay more attention to him. So yeah, overall, I just echo what you guys have said, truly a special prospect. Uh, I would probably stop short of generational, um, but he's definitely a franchise changer. So I'm clinging on to that 14% for dear life at this point. (laughs) Absolutely. I really don't like the term generational anymore just because it's really used repeatedly just to the point where it no longer really has much of a meaning. Like when you call two or three prospects over the course of 10 years generational talents, then they're not really generational talents, but I digress. I'll take a bit of a different tack about Cade. Well, actually, what I will say about him first, and I said this in the summer, he really projects as that sort of game-breaking offensive locus that really just gets you a lot of the way toward a championship. Those guys like Luka and Harden, who are extremely difficult to guard because they can score in any number of ways and are absolutely capable of exploiting the basically... So they just draw a ton of gravity and they're perfectly capable of, of exploiting the extra coverage they draw to generate open looks for their teammates. I mean, those guys are just super, super valuable, especially 
like Cade has the additional advantage of being six foot eight and also probably a plus defender. That's something that neither Harden nor Luca has. I wouldn't expect he'll be an, an elite defender, but he'd be a capable one. So just beyond the fact that he's just so capable at everything, I mean, his his capacity as a shot creator is really special. Just the diversity of his shot profile really does it all. Uh, pull-ups, step-backs, fadeaways, sidesteps. He's got a decent repertoire of moves. Well, just a couple, but he's, he was at the NCAA level. He was a decent scorer from the post through fadeaways and hooks. He's got a good floater game and, and so on and so forth. As a pull-up shooter, I mean, the guy shot 40% from three in the NCAA, despite the fact that he was taking some real difficult shots. Like he took a lot of shots with defenders right in his face. He took a ton of pull-up threes. This is a guy, when he's running the pick and roll, you have to go over every screen. Because if you go under the screen, well, I'm sorry, you're giving up a really good shot. And that's just a fan- these are just fantastically valuable skills at the NCAA, the NBA level, excuse me. So he's a guy you're basically going to have to face guard. You're going to you're going to have to give additional attention to off the drive, and he's perfectly capable of exploiting that. So, but what goes a little bit less mentioned, and is also I think just very good to have. I always like this in a player. He's very mature. His work ethic is a, is, is reportedly very good. He's very very dedicated to maximizing his effectiveness and just working on those areas of his game in which he feels he isn't good enough. He's got capacity as a leader and he really just leaves it all out there on the floor. He gets every little bit out of his talent uh, that he can, or at least he's certainly physically speaking. He he's very strong and he, he uses that. I mean, guys bounce off of him. He just, he, he, he knows he's strong. He knows he's bigger than guys. He exploits mismatches and so he's he's just a player you can always count on to to put in the hard work out in the court. Also very clutch. I mean, he showed that in the NCAA. He led uh, all of college basketball. He led in points in the clutch. I mean, that's partially because his team was just in a lot of close games, but still nonetheless impressive. Just doesn't have any issue with pressure and, and seems to like the big moments. So there's just so much to like about him. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the work ethic and the shooting because – I think coming into his freshman year at Oklahoma State, there was the only issue that he had between, you know, high school and college was his three-point shooting. You know, I think at Montverde he shot 32% on threes, and that's not quite good enough for a league guard. So that's, you know, there were a few different prospects where everybody was kind of looking, can this guy shoot threes? Cade was one of them, and he absolutely did. I mean, 40% is a great number. Uh, so yeah, certainly I agree with you. His his uh, his work ethic is reportedly very very good. His leadership qualities. Everybody speaks well of him, and he definitely shows up in these big moments because Lord knows his team is is just not going to do it. He knew that he had to be the guy who was going to generate opportunities, and he certainly rose to that occasion and stepped up. Yeah, I might even call him uh, stoic might even be the right word. Um, I think it was J.J. Reddick's podcast that Cade was recently on, and I didn't get a chance to listen to the whole thing, but I caught bits and pieces of it, and from what I was able to glean – He's incredibly mature for someone who's so young, and uh, I think he's a father already as well. And that, you know, that kind of thrusts you into a responsibility role, right? Not to get too deep into his personal life, but you can sort of see these personality tendencies show themselves on the court. And I think that that clutchness that he demonstrates, you know, the ability to step up and make the big shot when the big shot needs to be made is sort of derivative of of the fact that he's a very, you know, calm, collected, put your head down, work hard, improve and do what needs to be done type player. And it's, it's, it's funny because the Pistons are looking for um, not only a high-level creator, but another vocal leader, right? Because this is a young team. It's a team that needs guidance and direction. And I could see Cade and his personality slotting in beautifully with the rest of the culture that the Pistons are trying to build. Absolutely agree. And it's also worth mentioning if the guy is completely unselfish. He looks to make the right play all the time. And that's that's a valuable characteristic. You see, I mean, of course, nobody's going to gain, say, Harden's effectiveness, but it's the guy's not really a leader, and the guy can be a bit of a prima donna. That's just an example. It's it's very nice if you're, if the guy who's leading your offense is also really leading your team. And I, I completely agree with you. The guy is just all about business when he's on the court. 
And the comparison that came into my head is this is completely random. This isn't even basketball. And as a Red Wings fan, this makes me want to vomit in my mouth a little bit. But I was thinking about Jonathan Taves back in his prime guy who plays for the Chicago Blackhawks. I named him. The guy was just always very serious on the on the ice, barely even smiled. I think they called him Captain Canada or whatever. Just really completely businesslike, and, and, and nothing really phased him, and nothing really, nothing was really. It was just his, his game was just entirely subordinated to winning. Uh, but I, it really just doesn't make me feel good to draw any positive comparisons to any player on the Blackhawks. So we're just going to f- pretend that that never happened. <laughs> <laughs> so additionally, with Cade. He's a capable off-ball player as well. He played very little off the ball at Oklahoma City because, as we've all mentioned, his team just needed him to do everything. But when he was off the ball, he did – I mean, we'll put it this way. He was a good off-the-ball shooter. I mean, that's pr- pretty much what he did when he was off the ball. That's an establishing position down low and on mismatches, posting up and, and, and just scoring. He was very good at scoring that way. He knew where to go down low to make himself – to get himself open. But off the ball, uh, I think he was around 43% on catch and shoots in three-point range. That's pretty darn good. So he probably, with the Pistons or wherever he goes, we'll just say with the Pistons, uh, will not be spending much time off the ball, but nonetheless, it's a valuable skill. And guys like even Luca, for example, is not a good spot-up shooter. Yeah, for what it's worth. Yeah, you bring up a good point. Like, he comes, if he, when he joins the league, like, He's no matter where he goes, he's not going to be in as crappy a situation as he was with Oklahoma State. So as good as he played or as well as he played uh, in college, theoretically, it's like you said, he played even he shot the ball even better off ball. Like you take a little bit of the offensive load off of him. It's not that you don't want you don't want Luca running thing, Luca Cade running things. But I mean, theoretically, he gets even better. Uh a guy who has to carry that type of offensive load. I mean, maybe their defense suffers a little bit. Maybe their defensive intensity drops a little bit. You give Cade like an adequate workload where you're maximizing his offensive talent, but you're also giving him a chance to take advantage of that excellent defense that he's capable of playing. He's six eight. I think he has a seven foot two wingspan. He just has all the tools and ability. You just need to put him in the right situation. And any NBA team is going to have more talent than more relative talent to the rest of their league than Oklahoma State. So the sky is really just the limit with him. Like, obviously in this situation, you get to see what he can do because he's going to have all the opportunities to run everything. But, you know, there's, there's an interesting, you know, question. Like if you take him off ball just a little bit, what more can he create? Because he was, like I said, priority one, two, and three, you give him a balanced, you know, offense, give him more weapons on the perimeter. I think his numbers will shoot straight up because people like to, kind of criticize his uh, assist to turnover ratio. He only averaged three and a half assists. There is literally a compilation of missed assists on YouTube of just like his teammates bricking open shots that he created, uh, missing layups, not being able to create or complete a transition dunk. Like these things won't happen in the NBA. If you want to look at his numbers and you're like, well, these don't look the best, the context matters. Uh, His teammates at Oklahoma State were just not very good. And once he gets to the NBA, he gets some real athleticism around him, some decent shooters. Uh, all of his numbers are going to shoot up. I have full confidence of that. Uh, everything that he does right now, I think it projects very well. Like even his three-point shot, one year of you know shooting it very well. Uh, I have no concerns about that. Like with Jalen Green, there's a little bit of concern that you know his 15-game sample size was a bit of a fluke, or there's just maybe it doesn't translate as seamlessly to the NBA. I don't have that concern with Cade. Everything looks good. It projects well. The form looks good. Uh, It's just a very, very uh, tantalizing skill set for sure. Yeah, that that little Freudian slip you had calling him Luca, I I can forgive you because they've got a ton of similarities in their game. And he's been being uh, being compared to Luka Doncic for, boy, as long as this draft cycle has been going. And honestly, I don't think it's an awful comparison. You know, they both win uh, despite a lack of elite athleticism by being crafty, being smart, being effective shooters from pretty where, pretty much anywhere on the court and finding ways to get their teammates involved. And so that's the kind of offensive engine that Cade can be. You know, I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Luca is because that would be extremely difficult, but they are similar types of players in that those are the ways that they are effective despite their shortcomings. Now, I completely agree with you as well, Tommy. Context is 
I wouldn't just call it important. I would call it everything. Context is everything. If you looked at only the box scores, you looked at only the season stats, you'd be like, well, how's this guy going to be the number one pick? He averaged more turnovers than assists. And yeah, you can't get an assist unless your teammates score. You know, a little bit of uh, Killian Hayes syndrome there where you hit your teammates right in the hands and they miss an open shot and therefore your assist numbers are down. So that's not going to happen at the NBA level for Cade. Um, I see him both as a high level scorer and a high level facilitator. You're going to see those numbers rise because let's say he gets drafted by the Pistons, for example. There's nobody on Cade's college team. You know, Oklahoma State does not have a Jeremy Grant, a Sadiq Bey, um, an Isaiah Stewart to have efficient touches in the post. Cade's numbers will skyrocket really wherever he goes because his teammates will be, you know, at a at a higher level. They're not going to – I mean, his teammates might let him down. Let's not get me wrong. But they're, they're going to be overall more competent, right? And so in that way, you're going to see his game expand even more, I believe, when he reaches the next level because his teammates are going to be able to catch up to him. Yeah, I would, I would say that without a doubt. A lot of his turnovers also came from just running into multiple coverage. Uh, obviously, that's – something that he basically just just dealing with that kind of situation it's just not something he's gonna have to experience too much at the nba level no matter which team he's on uh, just like both of you guys said there's no way that anybody <laughs> there's no way no matter what team he's on he's gonna have a great deal more help so i'm just trying to think of what else i can add as as far as his strengths i mean there's there's just so you much talk to about talk the passing about. vision well, his passing vision, definitely great. I'm not sure if it'll ever reach the elite level of, say, a Harden or a Luka. I think it'll be very good. I mean, Luka, of course, is just really something else. But, I mean, you never know with Cunningham. I mean, he's still young. He's only 19 years old right now. So it, he possibly has that ceiling. And, again, you just absolutely can't tell if he has that on a team like his Oklahoma State roster where he not only had guys who weren't hitting shots, but good luck making the pass out of a triple team when you're in the paint, you know, or, or when you're just on your basket on, on the way to the basket in general, because defenders have really very little reason to respect your teammates, particularly in comparison to you. But I'm just going to get into first how he comports himself on the way to the basket. So definitely I've mentioned it. We've said it very strong. He absorbs contact super well. You saw this in the NCAA on his way to the basket. Generally, guys would hit him and just bounce off. And that would either give him space to score at the rim or would give him space to take a shot inside the arc. That's very valuable. He definitely does not avoid contact either. I'm not sure I would say that he seeks it out, but he absolutely does not avoid it. Just moves well. And... Yeah, man, I'm I'm just trying to again. I'm just trying to think of what what we have. The body control. You're alluding to the body control. Yeah, the body control is good. Yeah, and he can adjust pretty well in the air. I mean, he's not really in the air all that much. He really does most of his scoring beneath the rim uh, when he's scoring at the basket. But uh, yeah, there's there are just so many good things to say about him. Yeah, Dante, like you were right. You mentioned the I mentioned the Luca comp because they do play a very similar style. Uh, for sure, because Luca is just so creative with his handle and with the ball in his hand. And that's kind of that's the magic of it. I think Kate is very similar. I don't think it's a one to one comparison. I think Luca relies a little bit more on footwork and up and unders, uh, whereas Kate is, has just this excellent, uh, very mechanical body control. Uh, but he also has we haven't even touched on this just really excellent post touch, whereas Luca's kind of finishing these crazy layups. And Cade can do that, too. But I think Cade has this extra piece where he just has really, really excellent touch around the rim. Uh, and that's just another great p- piece of his game because, you know, we, we'll, maybe we'll talk about the piston, the fit with the Pistons later. But, you know, if you give Cade a spacing big and you give Cade, you know, just an open lane to the basket, even if he gets stopped there, he's going to have options. He's not going to be a guy who's like, okay, well, now I have to get rid of it and kick it out to the front. No, he's a guy that you can trust to take a hook shot. And it goes in because, you know, unless he's switched onto a big, uh, like like a, a genuine center, uh, he has the ability to put that shot up over his man. Like even with lackluster bounce, uh, that seven two wingspan really comes into play, and he just moves his body so well. The defense just, from what I've seen, most college defenders just didn't have the ability to recognize and react quickly enough to stop these hook shots. And uh, Kate is just a maestro around the basket. And we, I wanted to talk more about his passing, honestly. Because I think it is in that tier uh, with like Luca and just some of these other really, really good passers uh, who are, you know, getting into the, the paint and taking advantage of their size. Because 
there are not so many great players, especially at Cade's size, who can hit the weak side with accuracy, and Cade can. Uh, that, I think, is what is going to make the biggest difference for him because there are a lot of guys who can run a pick and roll. They'll make the, the simple passes, the dump-off passes, but Cade was making these crazy, you know, you know, he's getting hedged on the perimeter. He's in the corner, and he jumps up and recognizes an open man on the opposite end of the court. Those are the types of moves that are going to make Cade an elite passer, an elite offensive creator. Because it's just like you can go on and on about these crazy passes that he made. He would get into the paint, two feet in the paint. Uh, he's getting mobbed, two guys around him. And I don't know how he manages to do this. Like the, the poise he plays with to, to find the open man 10 feet away, dump off for an easy dunk for a guy who has no spacing ability. It's, it's, just, it's just incredible to watch. One thing I, I completely agree with you on the on what he does in the drive in terms of post moves. I saw like we talked about Mobley and how he often just settled for that post hook. He would get stopped on the way to the basket and just post up and throw that hook instead of just bullying his way to the basket. So Cade will often when he doesn't have another option will do that. He will spin and just put up a post hook and he's pretty good at that. Or there are other instances in which he just posted up and bowled his way just back to the basket until he got in a good position in the interior. Another thing that, uh, what, that was, this is what I was going to mention before it completely slipped my mind. He's actually a pretty decent rebounder, and he turns that into great transition opportunities. So at six foot eight with a long wingspan, of course, that'll give you a boost as a rebounder, but he really attacks the defensive boards, and when he brings it down, he either gets going in transition and when he gets up to a full head of steam, it's pretty difficult to stop him. So he's going to draw multiple coverage. Or in the NCAA, he did. He would draw multiple coverage, and then it's very easy for him to find the open man. Or he can give it up and run the floor. And he's not, like we've said, he's not the most athletic guy, but he can still finish well when somebody, when somebody gives him a pass when he's on his way to the basket. So just definitely another good quality. Reminds me a little bit... The last guy in the Pistons who was really able to do that was Ish Smith, uh, and only this was particularly in his first season. He was—he's a pretty bouncy rebounder for a guy his size, and he would bring the ball down and do good things with it. If I could just uh, hearken back to the his technical ability in the post and his ability to pass out to the open man when faced with overwhelming uh, coverage—you know, drive into the basket or in and around under the basket. Um, I'm going to sort of switch gears here because that reminded me of what I had wanted to say, which was. One of Cade's weaknesses, or really the only weakness, which we've touched on a little bit, not an elite athlete, right? So Cade is um, not a bad athlete by any means, but when we say not an elite one, we're generally talking about his burst, um, his vertical ability, and I guess his top end speed really are the only three aspects of his physical abilities that are not, you know, top tier. And it's funny because when you talk about his post ability, when you talk about his ability to find the open man when he isn't able to athlete people at the rim, uh, it, it's sort of, I think it kind of is derivative of his lack of top end athleticism. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, Malcolm Gladwell. So he's an author who, uh, he wrote a book called David and Goliath. And David and Goliath is all about how um, sometimes weaknesses or perceived weaknesses can be strengths. And we need to recontextualize situations to see what really is weak and what really is strong. And so I think when people say, well, Cade's not an elite athlete, I would argue back, well, look at what he's developed as a result of not being one. So because Cade can't jump over four guys and just slam it on him like he's prime Shaquille O'Neal, he was forced to be able to be a maestro, like Tommy said, in and around the basket and find open people. Because he can't just out-muscle his way up, he turns his back, he has a good post game, he's got a nasty fadeaway, he's got great spin when he's down there. And so these weaknesses, or these perceived weaknesses of his, really kind of helped mold him into, into the player that he is. So when people say, oh yeah, but imagine Kate is an elite athlete, it's like, well, he's not an elite athlete, and because he isn't one, look at all these things that he's developed as a result, so... I wouldn't say Kate is the number one prospect despite his athletic limitations. I would say he's not an elite athlete, and yet look at all that he's managed to accomplish. Look at all that he's managed to add to his bag, and look at how effective of a player he is. He's, he's a franchise changer. So I just, um, I, I know that was kind of a bit of an aside, but I just thought that was funny. And, and I really do think that 
he has been forced um, because of his limitations to really build this skill set. And of course, that leads into the fact that his teammates and we keep touching on this. His teammates were not great. And so look at the offensive load that he had to shoulder in college. And I think that'll probably serve him well when he gets to the NBA level. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good way of putting that, honestly, because fun fact, he only started playing ball handler uh, like three or four years ago. He started doing that in Monverde. One of his coaches wanted him to do it. And it turns out he's excellent at it. Uh, And yeah, absolutely. We talked a little bit in like the Mobley episode about how we don't like it when, well, in Mobley's case, I didn't like it when he would kind of get stopped in the paint. And okay, now what he has to do is take this half hook on a turnaround uh and i'm not trying to you know pick and choose or like pick on mobley i like cades more because one i think he gets better position i think he gets closer to the rim and two i I trust his touch a lot more Uh, i i think that goes along with exactly what you were saying cade had to learn to play with his lackluster athleticism and i think maybe that will help him uh translate this part of his game to the next level uh that's I mean, it's possible. I mean, like, you know, you don't know how uh, any of this stuff will translate. I think top end, like, yeah, he's certainly a franchise changing talent. Worst case, maybe he goes down to like fourth or fifth option on a championship team if the if the ball handling doesn't come together. But uh, yeah, certainly like maybe it is a strength that he learns to play around guys who are maybe more athletic than him in the NCAA. And maybe that does make his transition to the NBA a little bit easier. Maybe he is going to rely on you know, this excellent body control that maybe comparatively uh, it's not as much of an advantage, but maybe it's still enough that uh, the top end possibilities are still there. I really doubt he'd end up as the fourth or fifth best, uh, fourth or fifth option in the championship team. Cause I think he just has too much of a ceiling, too high a ceiling and really probably too high a floor as a shock creator at the NBA level. And I don't think it's like a likely outcome, but I mean, even it, go, go down like the top fives of any draft. Like there are missed picks. There are I, issues. I, I, I agree. There are missed picks. I think that's going to be Cade at all, but it's it's a possibility. Just it's realistically poss- speaking, it's a possibility. But I think in the worst case, in that worst case scenario, is that he ends up as more of a secondary ball handler. But uh, yeah, I think we should we can use this time to just transition to as we've noted his primary weakness, which is his athleticism. And I don't entirely agree with the both of you that his athleticism is something he's parlayed into a positive because it's made him need to learn certain skills. I think that it might just be better if he were more athletic. I mean, I think he'd still be as good of a shooter and he'd still be as good altogether. It's just that he wouldn't have nearly as much need for those spin hooks on the drive or anything like that. So one of the reasons he had so many turnovers at Oklahoma State, it wasn't just because he drew multiple coverage. It was also because he was still even at the NCAA level learning to deal with the fact that he was not particularly athletic, even at the NCAA level he was not particularly athletic and it's, it's just going to be more pronounced at the NBA level he didn't deal all too well with being completely in the circumstances in which he was completely unable to beat somebody those would often become turnovers I wouldn't say majority of the time but those would become turnovers and he's just going to have to continue learning how to adjust in the NBA to just that league's incredible standard of athleticism so I don't have any doubts that he can continue to learn and, and continue to adapt, but that's, yeah, I, I don't think it's perhaps there are aspects of it that have helped him develop into a more uh, just complete all around player. But uh, it's just, it's, it's something that's going to be a weakness at the NBA level. When we're talking not great athleticism, it's what Dante touched on. He's unless he's at full speed, he doesn't really play above the rim. He doesn't have anything in the realm of elite burst. And also his lateral mobility really isn't the greatest. It's more of a defensive issue. But just in, in terms of pretty much all walks of athleticism, you know, if we're not including strength, he's average at best in the NBA, and I would say probably below average. If I if I could just kind of um, not defend what I said, because I do agree with you, Mike, but I, I meant more in terms of like, yeah, if Cade was more explosive, if he had more burst, if he was more vertically gifted, um, certainly he'd be a better player. He might be one of the greatest prospects to ever come out of the draft. I meant more in terms of like, he, it's not that he wouldn't be better with those aspects. It was that I feel like the lack of those aspects sort of helped develop him into what kind of player he is. You know, there's 
yeah, LeBron James would be the undisputed greatest of all time if he was a 45% three-point shooter, but he's not. And so the point is that he never had to develop that because he's LeBron James and he could just do what he wants. So that's kind of what I was going for. I meant it more in terms of like his limitations ended up making him as skilled as he is. Uh, That's fair in parts. That said, all reports about his work ethic are that he works very hard on every aspect of his game. So it's, it's entirely possible that even if he were pretty darned athletic, he would still have manifested these skills. And that's just a testament to his overall mentality. It is possible. I, I can concede that it is possible. Yeah. Other concerns are not concerns I have. I would say these are just, you know, really minor downsides. Uh, it uh, bears mention that in the NCAA, he, didn't really well we'll talk about off ball in general he when he was off ball really as i mentioned for the most part it was just floating out to the three-point line and occasionally posting up in the interior and that said it's that was entirely it's entirely possible that that was a product of scheme but he i think will never be the best off ball mover in general in part thanks to that mediocre athleticism being a good off ball mover is we'll put it this way it's very nice in terms of off-ball movement, if you are able to change directions quickly and accelerate. I mean, that's that's just really a tremendously valuable, I would say, key skill for an off-ball mover. And Cade just doesn't accelerate quickly. He can, st- he can slow down quickly when he's got the ball in order to take a shot. But changing directions, he's not particularly good at that either. I mean, in terms of like you're moving right, then you move left. So I, I'm not sure he'll ever be a particularly good off-ball player. That's not going to be a necessary trait and plenty of very high caliber guys are not good off ball players. They're not good off ball movers, but it's just something worth mentioning. That's going to be another downside derived from his athleticism. Does that take us to uh, fit with the Pistons? Maybe I think it does. Well, if you guys don't have anything else to bring up uh, with respect to weaknesses, I'm just uh, kind of racking my brain. Let me think. Uh, well, the biggest well, weakness is that there's only a 14% chance he ends up with this. <laughs> well, there's there's another thing, actually. Uh, off, He does need to tighten up his handle a bit. So there were just certain guys who can play him really close and are quick, and, and the NCAA could often strip the ball away from him. So that was kind of an issue. As far as his release, I mean, this is just a very minor issue. It could be a little bit more fluid with a higher release point. It's not as big of a deal to have a higher release point in the NBA if you're six foot eight, but just you know, it's a minor issue that bears being said. Also, lacks some defensive polish, but I think that's just a matter of growth and experience. All yeah, right, I so on that, yeah, fit with the Pistons, and I think this will be a pretty boring topic because Cade could pretty much fit anywhere. I mean, you can put him on any team, and he'd be he'd be in good standing. Some teams would get less out of him, like the Thunder, for example. But there's no team on which he wouldn't fit well. Right. Well, I wanted to ask you, because I think out of the three of us, you might be the biggest believer in Killian's upside and uh, maybe see the the highest value in it. So if you are, obviously, you get the number one overall pick, you're taking Cade. It's not a question. But how do you balance Killian Hayes and Cade Cunningham? Do you try to split the ball handling duties between them? Or do you take what what I would personally do is take Killian off ball, majority of the time maybe try to stagger their minutes a little bit so that one of the two is always on the floor like killing's like the first man out when it's time for Cade to take a break killing is on the floor you have one of those guys there all the time do you try to stagger their minutes a bit more do you split their ball handling duties or do you just Cade is going to run the offense and uh killing's going to play off ball i would say as appropriate here's one thing about killian and this is a situation that could maximize his strengths so Killian, of course, is going to have some issues probably long-term with beating guys off the dribble because he's just, he himself does not have very good burst. And so an area in which he, which could minimize that issue. So you have Cade handling the ball. He's just got handle, primary ball handling duties and he attracts gravity. Maybe Killian's defender comes off or just inches off. And then it gives Killian a bit of a boost as far as being able to get moving on the way to the baskets and we all think very well of Killian's passing and, oh, excuse me, his court vision uh, and his passing, which, of course, he needs to improve with his right hand. I mean, that's mandatory. It's going to be an almost crippling weakness at the NBA level if he can't use his right hand to pass or can't go right. But 
Let's say you give Killian a bit of extra space to get going on the drive, and you can be fully confident that he's going to find the man and he's going to make the right play. And maybe even Cade floats out to the three-point line at that point, and then you get him the ball or you get anybody else the ball and you've got an open opportunity. So like you said, of course, you take Cade regardless, but I think he'd be a fine fit with Killian. I don't think you really need to worry about staggering the ball handling duties. You've had a couple of cases. uh, Yeah, that was a suggestion I had with Suggs, remember? Yeah, but I don't think Suggs is... uh, So Suggs, I would say, projects is better than Killian, but not that much better. I don't think a team that has Suggs as like the primary really on-ball ball handler is is likely to... Is very likely to, to to be a very good team to, to have a very good offense. I think with Cade, you give him like super mega primary ball handling duties, he's going to do just fine. I mean, he's he's a guy who projects as able to lead an offense in that capacity. So yeah, I think the fit really would be would be fine. But of course, you know this is this is the player whom you take. Period. If, if you're the Pistons, so <laughs> fair enough. I'm, but, I'm a little bit yeah. higher on Suggs than you, I guess, but I'm, I'm glad you're coming around on that idea. Well, I, I'm not fully. I've not fully come around on that idea because their win conditions are exactly the same. You know, you have to become a good shooter. Kate's already a good shooter. You take Suggs, and he doesn't become a good shooter. Then he's a crappy fit with Killian, and also he's got problems at the NBA level. Period. So. I, I don't remember what else I said as far as as far as conditions uh, on which. I think oh, yeah. one of the bigger the, talking points was that Killian's much better off ball as a shooter. No, but I was saying that the other one I said was the development of an in-between game. Kid sucks is not going to be able to get to the rim at will. So he and neither is Killian. They both need an in-between game. So same win conditions for them both. Kate is coming into the league already good at both of those things. Very good at both of those things. So you're not in a situation in which, you know, you it's just it's just a very different situation. Also, I just have much more confidence in, in Kate in that role. I'll be honest, guys, and maybe this might seem a little harsh. I don't know if uh, Killian has earned the right to split ball handling duties with Cade. I, I mean, Cade coming in, like even his first NBA game, I don't know if him and, and Killian are even remotely in the same class of player. You know, I think Cade could come in and be a plus-plus starter immediately, whereas Killian, you know, if he were to split ball handling duties with Cade, I, I guess that would really just be for the benefit of Killian's development as a player, not necessarily to the benefit of the team's success as a whole. So I'm curious to how you guys kind of balance how much do we want Killian to develop versus how much should we do what's best for the team, which is, in my opinion, <laughs> give Gabe the ball and just let him go. Oh, I think that Killian. So here's the situation that a couple of teams have had in the NBA in recent years, and both of them involve James Harden. <laughs> but so one of them is James Harden and Chris Paul. Both of them wanted to be the top dog. Both of them wanted to have the ball handling duties. And of course, that created some tension, even though Chris Paul is himself one of the great shooters in NBA history. So they staggered them. But when Harden was on the floor, he was pretty much the primary guy. And then you trade Paul for Westbrook in a really bad trade. And Westbrook really isn't all that good of an off-ball player, but he wants to be the top dog too. And after a year, he asks out because he wants to go back to his old style of play. I don't see that being an issue here. I think that Killian and Cade are both very mature, uh, very unselfish players. Killian has also uh, has already indicated that he's fine playing off the ball. Of course, you know that's good. I expect any player. Uh, my expe- expectations meet reality, but uh, I expect any player in, in any sport to do what's best for his team. And, and Killian seems to have no issue with that. So I don't really have any concerns at all. I agree that Cade would be almost certainly the better handler, but I'm not really concerned about somebody earning that. I'm just concerned about there being an effective offense. And I think both of those guys will do what's best for the team would do what's best for the team rather. Good enough. Next question then I guess would be, would you trade Isaiah Stewart in this case? Because look, I've, I've, I'm, I'm, I've made that argument. Like we need Stewart, we need Stewart, but uh, I think the athletic limitations are, a bigger problem here because look, Cade is going to be most likely a very, very good player. And I think one of the ways to max, one of the the issues that we saw, especially with this Oklahoma state team was he didn't have an athletic big to play next to him. And it just presented so many problems because Cade would make these great dimes and drop off passes, but he wasn't able to throw up these great lobs because he didn't have a a role man that was uh, capable of going up and getting like Stewart. He has a decent catch radius, but he doesn't have that, you know, John Collins jump over a guy and finish over him. So if you trust that Cade Cunningham is enough of a leader and that your culture is set regardless with him, uh, do you 
like the fit with Isaiah Stewart, or do you go with a, do you maybe try to acquire a guy who has more in the way of you know the traditional center role, where hopefully yeah, it's like a guy who can space the floor too, but uh, plays good defense and has more in the way of vertical athleticism. You know, do you think that what? maximizes Cade? Where are you going to find that? I mean, it's not easy to find a, a center who is yeah, highly it's athletic. Like hypothetical, but like, would you look to do it's, it? It's, I know it's well. How are you going to do it? I mean, it's it's a hypothetical a guy who is who is able to play good defense, who is highly athletic, and who can space the floor. I mean, how many bigs who are not paid a large salary can actually do those things? I think it's almost. I mean, when it comes to Stewart, sure, yeah, it'd be nice if you have a lot threat there. At the same time, you know, you can. Uh, there are things you can do to ameliorate that. Okay. Like for example, Isaiah Stewart's in the pick and roll. You have him set the pick. So Cade comes around it. You have Isaiah just float out to the perimeter, right? You're right back out to the three point line. And then you have Jeremy Grant cut to, the, cut to the basket, for example, or Hamadou Diallo cut to the basket. And Cade is excellent at finding cutters. Yeah. It, it'd be nicer. It'd be nice if he had a center to whom he could lop the ball, but I don't think we can compare this to Oklahoma state at all. I mean, I think that the issues there were just so widespread and, and just overall the, the roster he was playing next to. I mean, we've, we've already, you know, it's beaten that dead horse plenty, but I wouldn't be concerned with that at all. And if it's really not working out between them, then yeah, maybe, maybe you make a change. That said, finding the quality, somebody of the caliber of center that you would just wait out would not exactly be simple. So, I, yeah, I, yeah, I agree with Mike. I don't think it's a long-term concern. You know, obviously finding someone who perfectly meshes with Cade would be good at the five. But then again, we still haven't seen Cade at the NBA level where his teammates are actually, you know, somewhat close to him in ability so he's operating at close to his maximum capacity or close to his fuller potential so it it's also a question too of we don't exactly know what is the best fit for him as as Stuart develops who's to say that him and Cade don't build you know amazing chemistry and really start to pop off as a pick and roll duo so I I had a lot more to say but Mike pretty much covered it I think the team is um talented enough to where we can make it work and even though it'd be good to get someone who's one-to-one perfect for him number one how are you going to get that and number two what are the odds that him and Stewart don't mesh very well regardless yeah we've been over Stewart and his intangibles as well and just how he makes the players around him better but in any event another potential concern you could have is that assuming Sadiq Bey stays in the starting lineup and so does Killian Hayes I mean you've got one actually like above average NBA athlete on the floor. And that's Jeremy Grant. So who knows? I can't really think of any comparable case in the NBA, even in recent years, I might just be completely blanking on something who knows how that impacts your offense. But if we're thinking about it relative to how the team was in this past season, of course the team was terrible. (laughs) So actually I don't think I have much of a point in that respect. If you're running you know, if you're if you're running a team with either DeLon Wright or Corey Joseph or Killian Hayes at the point and and Sadiq Bay and either Isaiah Stewart or Mason Plumley, I guess you had Josh Jackson as a as a shooting guard, starting shooting guard for a fair amount of the time and he was terrible, of course, or really bad. But yeah, I, I wonder how much that would limit your your offense in terms of guys getting open around screens and whatnot, but you know, you find a way to get around that. I remain pretty high on Hamadou Diallo, and, and who knows, maybe he finds his way into the starting lineup at small forward eventually. But yeah, the issue with this discussion is just that you take Cade anyway, and I think everybody's confident you find a good fit no matter where he goes. Yeah, no, I'm not talking about talking your way out of Cade. It's like you have to, yeah, I guess once you have a player of this caliber, you have to put the right guys around. Mike, you and I were talking earlier about like the bonehead plays that New Orleans made, signing Steven Adams for uh, presumably toughness, but it really takes away from Zion Williamson's game. Like you just want to find the right guys for your True. best player. But that's an issue. I mean, the, the, the issues yeah, with that's that a, that's go a long to ter- way down. But a terrible fit. Yeah. Because yeah. you've got a guy who primarily operates on the interior. Exactly. And you've got a center who is going to clog the paint and also cannot space the floor. So I, a question I would ask, do you guys see any teams in the lottery? who might pass on Kaduma, you know, rather in terms of whether it be trading down or, or otherwise. The one I would see possibly would be Oklahoma City because I just think so highly of the potential of a, of a shy Mobley duo. I mean, shy is already was already this season one of the best, like 
best, best offensive creators in the NBA. He's a very on-ball player. He created upwards of 80% of his own shots. And I mean, he was a very efficient player. So you put Cade next to him, maybe you're... I mean, the only case in which fit becomes an issue is if you really feel like you're going to get a lot less out of him than you would get out of another player. I mean, by putting him next to just an excellent creator, I think I think Shai has has superstar potential. Like, I have, there's no doubt in my mind. I I I would be shocked. <laughs> I know you like SGA, but I think you just try to force that fit to happen. Uh, I I can't I I honestly can't see any team trading down if they get the number. It would take some godfather offer that honestly probably wouldn't make sense for the other team uh, to to try to pry Cade Cunningham away. I mean, you're talking about like mortgaging the next ten years of your franchise's future, you know, to get a pick like this. Like it's just too it's the stakes are just too high at that point. If uh, if Presty passes on Cade. I would probably have to launch some inquiry into like whether or not the bath salts market has sort of made a resurgence in that area of the country because well, I'm not I, talking about passing. They would trade down. Oh, well, I mean, well, it is still passing. If, it's if still passing. It's but, still but, passing. Look, the, yeah. the fact of the matter is, and this is just how I've always viewed Cade, I view him as a lead ball handler and you could think SGA is, you know, one of the top guards in the mm-hmm. entire NBA, which I think he's very good. I don't think he's a top, top, top guard, but I think that Cade can play, um, even though it's positionless basketball era right now, if you want to stick like to the more traditional sense, I think Cade could like slot in at one through three, you know, and I just don't see a world in which his tremendous upside and his already extremely polished game can't slot in somewhere. And, and I do get what you're going for in the name of maximizing your best players. I understand that's not a crazy concept, but I think Kate is just too good to where you couldn't <laughs> you couldn't find a spot for him to the point where you would trade out of his insane potential. I mean, I think you're underselling Shy. I mean, he created. I'm just looking at the stats now. 87 percent of his own offense, and he ended the season. Uh, he only played 35 games, but that's a significant sample size. He ended the season shooting 51 percent overall, 42 percent from three. You know, six assists per game. He's not the greatest creator for others, but he's no slouch. I mean, he was just—he uh, was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, but this is OKC. They—they yeah. they, they no, were no, putting o- out some pretty tanky lineups. No, they weren't. Back, yeah. No, back then yeah. OKC was a 500 team. They—they they did not go for the full tank until Shy ended up out with what I believe was plantar fasciitis. So, if you've got a guy who is just that talented on the ball. And again, I, I think that Shai is a future superstar. I've had very little doubt of that from his second season onward. Even with the Clippers in his first season, he was looking pretty darn good. And, you know, you can go back to the Griffin trade and say, oh, okay, well, that's fun. The Pistons trade away their pick to the Clippers, and the Clippers just packaged it with a second-round pick, which may also have belonged to the Pistons, to move up because they knew that the Hornets wanted Miles Bridges anyway. And, of course, Shane, needless to say, is going to be give vastly more value than, than Blake Griffin over the course of, well, you know, their remainder of their contracts, which I guess isn't very long, whatever the case. I just think so highly of him as a creator. I don't think you want to take him off the ball. A guy who can create, who himself can create offense so efficiently and is really developing as a creator for others as well. So if you get a potentially very good offer, like let's say you can trade down with number two and you get a promising young prospect as well. I can't, I'd really have to look at the list of teams to tell you if that's really even plausible. But I wouldn't put it outside the realm of possibility. I, I, I really, again, I mean, if you've already got a guy who is just an expert in that role, would you rather bring in somebody from whom you're going to be able to get more value? And some people have said, some analysts and just people in whatever. I, I don't, I don't form my opinion around that sort of thing. But Mobley, if he gets everything together, could have a pretty darn good ceiling as well. And. That kind of duo of Shea and Mobley could be a championship-winning duo on its own. And if you get an extra asset while trading into that situation in which you might get just those guys would be greater than the sum of their parts in a way that that uh, that Shea and Cunningham would not, maybe you do it. And you get an asset in the bargain. I have a question for you guys, and I really, really want to know. I'm super curious. What do you guys genuinely think is going to happen this draft lottery? Seriously, <laughs> what uh, I, do you actually think is going to happen? I think that the the odds are set, and if everything is truly random, then 
Yeah, I mean, that's really, what do I genuinely think is going to happen? I have a good feeling. Of course, it's based upon nothing. It's based upon absolutely nothing. <laughs> Certainly not history. Yeah. So, no, I mean, there's, there's, there's absolutely no statistical or logical basis for what I'm saying because it is completely random insofar as anything created by a human can be completely random. So I have a good feeling about it. And maybe that's because the Pistons just haven't had good luck in a while. Maybe it's like, okay, the Pistons tank, but they really, you know, competed hard. I have a good feeling the Pistons will get a top three pick. And, when we were doing the prospect yeah. episodes for the other three, I had a really good feeling. I was like, all right, we're getting one of these guys. But then we got to the Cade episode, and I was like doing my research for this one. And I don't know why, but for some, I don't know, maybe it's just because we know it's a 14% chance, whereas with Green, it could be anywhere from two to four. Suggs could be anywhere two to four. Mobley's probably going top three. I don't know why, but for right at this episode, I was like, we're, we're picking fifth. It's a 27% chance. That's my call. I'm not I, trying to put bad energy out there but i think it's going to be fifth just because that feels like the most pistons thing ever listen bad vibes aside mediocre yeah mediocre placement (laughs) yeah i just had i was watching Cade so much this past uh little while in preparation for this episode and seeing how good he is and picturing you know the the way that he could really accelerate this rebuild and kind of launch us into relevancy and i just this feeling of dread washed over me that i'm gonna see the, the the placard there for the sixth pick be flipped and it's going to be us. That's I, 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 and I feel like if I really set my expectations low, I can't be disappointed. But I feel like I'm going to be oh, disappointed regardless. I don't know. I'm sorry to put that out there in the universe. Yeah, this, this, this defensive pessimism. Yeah, whatever the case. Yeah, the lottery is going to be the lottery. I have a decent feeling about it. Uh, the NHL lottery, I'm not anywhere near as. Yeah, that's fine. It, no the NHL lottery. I'm not. I'm not a sports conspiracy theorist, but some wacky stuff happens there that seems to strongly favor uh, big market teams. And I'm like, this is a little weird. Of course, Buffalo just won the draft lottery again, though, and that team is. Yeah. Uh, though I, though I, my cousin is a very, very big Sabres fan, but he's mm-hmm. kind of like. I'm just trying to think of an NBA equivalent. He is very resigned to the fact that the Sabres suck. <laughs> and yeah, you know, it, it is what it is. It is what it is. Do we want to call our picks? Because I got it. I'm sorry. I got to call the sixth pick. I'm calling five. Uh, I'm calling top three. No, no, no. You have to call a pick. (laughs) Uh, That's not fair. I'm calling top three. So you're calling number one. Because I'm picking a 27% chance. You're picking a 20% chance. And he's picking like 12, 5. 50. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like the (laughs) speaking of sketchy lotteries. I don't like these odds, Mike. This is a great well, top podcast. Four, doing a great we job. have a fifty-two point one percent chance for the top four, fourteen for yeah. number one overall. So yeah, I don't have the grid in front of me, but I I think you got to call a pick. I think you have to. We can't wrap the episode up without <laughs> it. All right, I'll call number one. Yes, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I mean, why not? Uh, why Why would I call number two or number three when we could have number one? You know, prior to this episode, I thought we were going to be three, but I don't know why. Like, Cade just, like, I feel like the fear of missing out has, has got me down, so I'm picking five. I, I honestly oh, think oh. I would be ecstatic if we got green. Cade just feels me like too. a dream at this point, and I think there's a decent yeah. chance we end up with green, but I don't know. Right now, too. yeah. Yeah, I think. Yeah, no, that, that's, a, that's a good way. I think the likeliest outcome in terms of a prospect that we end up with is green. I'll say that. That would be good. Yeah, would I, I would. Good. I would think that there are scenarios in which the Pistons pick fourth and Green is still on the board. Not many scenarios. Yeah, like if you have Oklahoma City and Minnesota picking at number two and number three, then I think Oklahoma City takes Mobley, and I think that the Timberwolves, who already have Anthony Edwards, who plays very similarly to Jalen Green, and who really, I mean, I don't think I don't think anybody thinks that D'Angelo Russell is their long term answer at point guard. He may just end up being a tremendously overpaid six men who could cost them a pick <laughs> a high pick if they're not top three so i think Jalen Suggs would be the pick for them he's obviously not going to pick mobley either unless they really are intent on trading towns and that just doesn't seem to be the case so in that case you have mobley going to oklahoma city you have Suggs going to the timberwolves and then if the Pistons are picking fourth then Jalen green of course is the only option but i think they'd be very happy with that However, if you have, say, I don't know, I have no idea what Cleveland would do, probably take, I'd say they'd probably take Green and just trade Sexton, maybe. And uh, I heard this, <laughs> I read this funny thing about Sexton, this is completely random, but apparently players from other teams will heckle him 
or or say to like heckle him by saying to his teammates uh, on the floor, it's like you know he's not going to pass you the ball. <laughs> Which I, I just found pretty funny. That's a pretty good heckle. That's not yeah, a good heckle. It, and makes, it's also- it makes him insecure yeah. too. So it's really getting in everybody's head. Well, the, the worst part is that it's true. So <laughs> well, I mean, sexy really doesn't like it. Yep, that's yeah. why I chose the sixth pick because yeah, yeah, it's comedic, but I feel like it might be true. Unfortunately, you know what? You, you just ri- reminded me because I think the first year that the new draft lottery odds were implemented, Cleveland had the second best odds, same as us. They finished second worst, and they dropped to six, and that's when they got Garland. Was that the year? Last year they dropped from second to fifth, so they took a yeah, no, I think number Garland five. went six overall. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, no, I didn't know they went from second to fifth last year too. I think they did. Wasn't Golden State was the worst, and I think the Timberwolves were the third worst. Uh, either way, they dropped the Cavaliers dropped a couple of spots. The Pistons did as well, of course. But of if you're going to drop in a draft, it would be that draft. Like, it's here's scary. the thing like, about yeah, we we've talked about Cade and, and what we said last year in our draft previews about Anthony Edwards. I mean, Edwards had a really bad team around him, but he just took bad shots. And Cade had a really bad team around him, but. He's such a good shooter that, and just such a good create overall that he was able to make it work anyway. And yeah, I mean, I think I mean we could take this down the rest of the episode. I know Dante, you weren't with us at the time to to revisit how things went for us as far as our analysis of the last draft. I know, well, I know Dante, you weren't here, but you were big on Lamelo, much bigger. I than love I was. Lamelo, and if I remember, you guys did not like him too too much. Tommy, so, no, that was, uh, yeah, no, he was that, was a, that was like their like crowning achievement of like the pre-draft we had like a full-on argument about Lamelo. <laughs> yeah yeah I think I remember but now I'm here and I can give all of the correct takes 100% of the time so Absolutely. lucky for the <laughs> listeners we basically have a Nostradamus here so fair enough yeah Lamelo, I thought would I wasn't confident that he would develop as a shooter and I thought he would just be kind of a prima donna and a non-team player I still think yeah. he might be a little bit of a trap player and that he's like a super ball handler who might really a guy who is going to be at his best on the ball and they can be guys like that can be kind of traps if they're not good enough to be the number one option in your offense like you know Reggie Jackson in his his first full season with the Pistons you know did did a fairly good job but you have a guy being that ball dominant and it's just not good enough to really justify it but of course I was completely wrong about Lomelo he had a needless to say a good rookie season I didn't expect him Uh, to be shooting this well though I, I was like if he can just clean up his shot selection a little bit he might like Eclipse thirty percent, and that'd be great. And he ended up shooting what, like thirty six. He he, oh, he was he was streaky yeah, though. Yeah, yeah, he was sure. he was streaky. He was it was awful at the beginning, and then he was very good in the middle. And then after he came back from injury, he was pretty bad again, if I remember correctly. Yeah, we had I don't think either of us like Wiseman. No, neither of us like Wiseman. I just uh, I wasn't at all. Oh, I really didn't. I had no interest in the Kongwu. Uh, he's. You know, you do draft the traditional center that high. I don't think it's a good idea. And I think Atlanta is ruining that partly because Capella was so good this season, but also because Halliburton, as I know you've said, Tommy, and I think I said this back then as well, would have been picture perfect fit with Trey Young. Yeah. And, you know, you have Halliburton playing next to Trey Young in the playoffs instead of Kevin Herter. That's great. And, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think it'll be a shame if Atlanta reaches the finals because they've been so fortunate. Just in terms of their matchups, like with especially with Embiid having injury problems and the Sixers being a mess thanks to Ben Simmons. But if they were to get to the conference finals and play, oh, I don't think they'll get past the Nets or the Bucks. But he would have been great there. Anthony Edwards, who did you have number one on your board, Tommy? I had Anthony Edwards. I, I didn't like his shot selection, but yeah. I, I think I felt like his top end potential was just too good to pass up. Yeah, I think I had him number one as well, and I still think he has the highest ceiling in the draft yeah. class. He did pretty darn well in the second half of the season after being awful in the first half in terms of just a really high-volume, horrible efficiency. He started attacking the basket, stopped avoiding contact, started shooting pretty well from three, and man, is he athletic. Like, wow, is he athletic. I know <laughs> we've said this before on the show. He had testing done at P3, which is this very highly regarded high-tech testing and performance facility somewhere in, in California. And for shooting guards, he was literally off the charts in terms of athleticism. They had never seen somebody as athletic as he is. And you watched him play against the Pistons. Like one of the games, he went up and I think he got hit by Stewart, who's pretty beefy. Or maybe it was Plumley, uh, while he was in the air. And of course, he's a fantastic leaper, Anthony Edwards is. And so he got hit. He didn't even move. 
I mean, he just stayed in the exact same position in the air. And I think he came very close to dunking the ball after doing it behind the back to get to the basket. So he's just, he's built like a tank. And I, I think he's got a bright future in the NBA. And uh, who, who else, else is were, left at this point? I think Okoro. I was higher on Killian than on Lamelo, which uh, I don't think Killian will ever be as good as Lamelo if Lamelo continues playing this way. No, uh, our last episode pre-draft was we we talked about the four likeliest guys we thought that the Pistons might target. It was yeah, Lamelo, Patrick Williams. Yep, yeah, Patrick Williams, Tyrese Halliburton, and Killian. Killian was my least favorite of those four. <laughs> yeah, well, he had the least. Uh, he had the worst rookie season of the of the four of them as well. Needless to say, but you know, being injured for half of it didn't uh, more than half of it really didn't help. Yeah. But Hope Killian's not listening to this episode. He got beat up a little bit the past. <laughs> yeah, he did. So. I love Absolutely. him. He got beat up a little bit. So. Yeah. Oh yeah, he. I mean, he had a terrible rookie season. I mean, there are no ifs, ands, or buts about that. But it was also a very abbreviated rookie season. Yeah, he's just he's got a lot of work to do. Some players weren't really all that phased by the complete lack of an NBA offseason. I mean, the last offseason was ridiculous. Of course, it was they pretty much got to just come in. Okay, you got like a week of training camp and like a week of preseason, and then we're straight into the season. And well, for guys who really need to adjust, that's just too bad for you. But he's just pretty raw. And as I've said, I'm not that wasn't concerned this season. I would have liked to see him play better, but. I'm not concerned. I'll be concerned at the end of next season if he still sucks. Patrick Williams is the fourth one. He did pretty well for the bill for the Bulls, but I don't think he. Well, who knows? Maybe he'll develop into that kind of yeah, he was an that they pick really need for sure. Yeah, but I, the question: what his upside is? He had a fairly good rookie season, but really, what is his upside? And was that the right pick for the Bulls? They also could have gone with Halliburton. Well, if they wanted Zach Levine, who, who ended up being the ball handler, it wouldn't have been a bad fit. So, I don't know, man. We take one of these better players. Yeah. Maybe we're not picking this high. <laughs> well, that's that's the thing. That's that's why this lottery is so important, and why hitting on this draft is so important. Is that you can find talent later in the draft, but it's harder. It's considerably yeah. harder. Somebody on somebody posted some sort of statistic about if you look at the top three picks who won championships in, like uh, who are still with their team and won a championship. You know, since 1980, it's like a small number of players. Of course, 1980 was a complete BS cutoff point because Magic Johnson was drafted in 1979. <laughs> so <laughs> he was drafted first overall. And 1979 was also when they put the three-point line in. So what it ultimately came down to is that uh, the players were, if you're just looking at guys who are the primary options on their team, uh, between Jordan, Magic, Hakeem, Duncan, I don't remember who else, but the proportion was actually really high. Like these guys won 22 championships is the primary options on their team. Of course, the most recent was some time ago. But as, as much as Weaver did well in last year's draft, I mean, he drafted two guys who were all all rookie, but probably don't have the highest ceilings. Still valuable, good picks, great picks, picks at their position. And and Killian, we'll see. I don't, I don't uh, again, I've said, I think a ceiling is in the lower end of the top 10, and that would be fantastic. But you really got to find that superstar. Like no ifs, ands, or buts. This is not the 90s, the 80s, or the 2000s. You need that superstar. So, all right. Anything to add before we wrap up? Keeping my fingers crossed. That's about it. Really, you plan on keeping your fingers crossed for the next seventy-two hours? Is that is Whatever that some, it takes. should I get should I get the Guinness <laughs> Book of World Records out here for longest finger cross? Because really, I've been doing it all season. I so. don't think. Uh, I I think you'll find that it's some absurd length of time. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, this podcast doesn't have video, so for all the listeners, know every single episode the entire time I've had my fingers crossed, and it might have been you know what's that like. Six months, seven months since I've been a regular guest on here. Not a guest, yes. I guess I'm always now, but yeah, I, I, I we really, appreciate I, the dedication. Yeah, yes. we do. Yep. Having your fingers yep. crossed the entire time. However, <laughs> the real dedication would be keeping your fingers crossed at all times. At all times. No, no, no. Yeah. Only during the podcast. It's good. Oh, okay, gotcha. But that's the last thing I have to add, and I'm looking forward to it, and we'll see how it goes. Absolutely. We absolutely will see how it goes. We're either going to come out of Tuesday night feeling ebullient or absolutely crushed uh, oddly enough i feel like the fourth pick could be i don't want to say to be disappointing but if we end up with Jalen suggs i'm not going to be too happy yeah but i'll take it over at number five or number six uh, most you know most likely well obviously i would take the fourth pick over number five and number six all right so that's gonna be it for this episode thank you all for listening we will catch you next time